Welcome to Machine Learning on the Road. Well, um, this week I'm going to talk about the emerging markets of fuel cells. In uh, previous episodes, I've talked about fuel cell and how I feel that uh, the fuel cell technology um, will become the dominant form of decentralized energy production, uh, surpassing natural gas. And the reason why I uh, decided to talk about this is uh, uh, looking at uh, investment opportunities. Um, I look at technologies that are disruptive and I've been questioning why fuel cell adoption has been so slow and uh, largely I think it's because of its uh, large-scale ability to disrupt uh, existing markets. The fuel cell hydrogen nexus, I guess you could say, uh, connection would create a marketing hub uh, that would be disruptive to oil and natural gas. Even though you could look at uh, natural gas and say that it is the primary source of hydrogen production in industrial scenarios. But uh, when you look at uh, hydrogen, it uh, it's really a unlimited power source. And uh, so the cost of electricity production with hydrogen should drop a thousand fold. And uh, once that uh, supply becomes that abundant, the price um, begins to drop. And, uh, and then you have larger applications of everything. You see the emergence of IoT, low energy devices on the edge, like we talked about last week where uh, you know, it could be powered by a fuel cell with a, a small carbon fiber tank uh, in the IoT device, and uh, occasionally you'd have to go out and replenish the hydrogen. Um, the alternative for XNOR, XNOR, was to uh, connect it to a photovoltaic cell. Now, there's been a lot of discussion about how hydrogen should be produced. Should it be produced from natural gas? Should it be produced from methanol? Should it be produced from electrolysis? Um, <clears throat> the answers are, it'll <coughs> depend on which model is the most decentralized and scalable. And that will be the preferred choice for uh, hydrogen production. So, and then the, the, the other alternative is uh, photovoltaic. So, uh, you can use a form of low energy nuclear reactions uh, with uh, photovoltaic uh, processes, photosynthesis, and uh, that technology combined, combining together can produce uh, low amounts of hydrogen in seawater and, uh, or ocean water. And uh, that, uh, that was really one of the ones that I thought was gonna be a very promising technology. Uh, don't see a large move for that uh, from government, but um, uh, th that adoption could uh, occur later as it proves to be a cost-effective form of producing hydrogen. So one of the big problems with hydrogen is the fact that we have no infrastructure. So the question is, is do you build lots of uh, hydrogen refilling stations? Um, and those 
those could come in the form of natural gas reformers. So you'd uh, have a, a, a station that basically looks like a semi-truck. Uh, Germany's has a couple of those. There's a number of companies that are producing this natural gas to hydrogen reformer. And, uh, and then it creates high pressurized hydrogen that can be injected into uh, carbon fiber tanks in your fuel cell cars. And those tanks uh, are very reliable. They, they can hold uh, 10,000 PSI with the uh, ranges going up as high as 40,000 PSI to 400,000 PSI from, from what I've read. So their <coughs> carbon fiber has definitely changed the method for which we can transport hydrogen. And uh, you can see uh, the possibility that pressurized hydrogen will be the preferred choice for transporting hydrogen. Um, now, that's not to say that you couldn't have an onboard reformer, so you could have a, a methanol uh, mixture of water and methanol and a catalyst, and then uh, have a electrolysis system that breaks apart the hydrogen uh, on demand and feeds that directly into your internal combustion engine. So, in that sense, then you would uh, you would refill your catalyst, you refill your methanol, and then you would uh, refill the water. And so there'd have to be a certain mixture ratios uh, for that that to work. And so it's a chemical process, a lot combined with electrical, so electrical chemical process. Um, so that's a, that's one possibility. Another possibility is that you have a small engine, a gas combustion engine, and uh, it's turning an alternator and the alternator is electrolyzing the water on demand. Um, higher electricity requirements, but uh, the end product would be a certain number of liters uh, per, per second. And uh, so that, that, that's proven to be viable with uh, some technologies like HHO powered um, trucks or HHO powered semis where you're using a combination of um, small motors to create the HHO gas and then feed that directly into uh, either a combination of diesel and uh, HHO or going straight in um, to running the vehicles uh, under high compression using uh, HHO gas. So those are some um, interesting technologies that have been talked about, uh, they've been demonstrated, but um, they have not been taken to scale. You don't see HHO semis. And if they were to emerge, you wouldn't notice them. They would look uh, just like a diesel-powered uh, semi, but uh, with the advantage of uh, zero emissions. So maybe on the truck you would see zero emissions. So uh, fuel cell, um, the, the ones that Toyota have built, uh, they're, going, they're going along the line of high pressurized uh, hydrogen gas. So they have large tanks uh, behind the cabin of the truck and uh, those tanks then feed into a fuel cell stack. Now one of the really interesting technologies that I reviewed this morning when I was thinking about doing this podcast was a technology called solid oxidizing fuel cell. 
Now, that, now this, this, the reason why this uh, technology is very popular is because it can take a, an impure uh, fuel source and convert it uh, into hydrogen and uh, oxygen and heat. So, for example, you could take a CH4 and, uh, and then it would uh, produce uh, a, a carbon dioxide, hydrogen, and, um, and then when you take the um, uh, hydrogen and combine it with the air, uh, it uh, then would produce oxygen or water as a final byproduct. So it produces water and heat as a final byproduct. So the impurities are are handled through high temperature um, operations, and and then it uh, there's a, uh, the electrons are passed from the anode to the cathode, and you get a current. So. I mean, it does kind of on a simplistic sense. You can come to my webpage and read more about uh, solid oxidizing fuel cells, but they're they're really a major breakthrough, and uh, they've been producing millions of kilowatts of electricity for some of the large companies like Walmart and uh, so forth. Um, the Bloom uh, fuel cell, which is thought to have would have gone to the home consumer, um, but did not, is uh, is used by some large companies to reduce their carbon footprint. And that is a SOF fuel cell type. So it's got, um, it, it passes in the uh, natural gas and, uh, and through this process uh, breaks up the, the natural gas into result in carbon dioxide and uh, hydrogen and so um, you know it has to be handled carefully but uh, the end products are water and heat so enough on the chemistry um, again you can you can look at that and uh, see how that process works and kind of a simplistic overview. Anyway, going back to why SOFCs are so important. So then you could put the uh, that fuel cell, the SOFC fuel stack in a vehicle and uh, create a power generator process and run uh, the car using that fuel cell stack. And uh, it would run at a high temperature just like an internal combustion engine, and uh, it would take the fuel source, which is plentiful natural gas. Could be you could you could fill the natural gas tanks, and uh, you wouldn't have to even worry then about the hydrogen <coughs> reforming stations. You could just uh, fill the car with natural gas, and and uh, and it would produce a zero emission vehicle. So it will be interesting to see if that technology emerges. One of the things that uh, I think people get kind of uncomfortable with is the idea of, of handling high pressure fuels, um, fuels under high pressure. But if you go get a, your propane tank filled up, um, you can do it yourself. You, you screw on the nozzle and make sure it's secure. And then you open the other nozzle and and then it has uh, some valves that check to make sure that you don't have 
any pressure leakage and then uh, and then you just transfer the fuel under high pressure and then you then you, uh, un, you turn off the fuel from the source and then you unscrew the nozzle now all this could be done through robots robots could uh, uh, extend out a, a arm and uh, connect to the fuel cell source from the fuel cell source to the target and then make sure there was a, a secure connection transfer the fuel in a few minutes and then uh, disengage and then you pay, you pay your bill and you're on your way so it's not uh, and and that would be the same somewhat the same process for hydrogen refilling um, the other way would be to have some sort of hydrate that you're you're storing in so a metal hydrate and uh, the fuel comes in in a cooled uh, form so it's fast to to fill the hydrate and uh, and then when you're done uh, you, you when you're operating the vehicle then it uses electric current to heat up the hydrate to release out the hydrogen so that's kind of the idea of, of the hydrate but it would require cooler temperatures so that the refilling would be fast and that's going to be the challenge we want to have the refilling to be under eight minutes uh, preferably between three to five and uh, and and then that becomes an acceptable method for refilling and then the the price for the the service the hydrogen could either be near free or uh, depending on uh, the arrangement with the, the refilling stations and the supplier of the vehicles like Toyota. Toyota, I think, provides uh, for California drivers of the Mariah a uh, certain number of free refills. And at one time, I read that they uh, provided up to, I think, a year of free hydrogen. So there was a, there's a lot of, uh, there could be, the fuel could be really cheap in terms of uh, its cost. And it do, all depends on the arrangement with the vendor and the supplier of the fuel, of the hydrogen. Okay, so where's this all going? Well, what this tells me is that uh, the future is fuel cells and not electric uh, vehicles. Now, electric vehicles uh, using lithium batteries can are really good because they've reduced the cost of the storage of electricity um, and they've also increased the range of the electric vehicle car but now you're seeing uh, thousands tens of thousands maybe I think Tesla put out uh, a little bit over 400,000 vehicles in one year and so as more electric vehicles begin to consume power from the grid uh, you, there's uh, increased demand for supply so the new new energy sources uh, have been uh, renewables like solar and uh, hydrogen I mean solar and wind power but uh, it could also be um, done in the form of decentralized power so that's where I'm going to shift now is micro turbines um, what micro turbines are is they they run off uh, they run off natural gas. They create a uh, the natural gas is combusted and it burns and it turns a turbine, which then uh, uh, generates power. Uh, and 
uh, it's not necessarily a fuel cell stack, but it is a microgenerator. And so the reason why the microgenerator is interesting is because if you look in the world uh, how, and you look at how electricity is generated in, in poor countries, it's done through decentralized means, and that includes uh, diesel-powered generators. And so for a large portion of the world, uh, electricity is generated on demand through diesel-powered generators. But the, you know that produces a large carbon footprint. So if you could reduce that uh, footprint down, uh, get more efficient through the use of microgenerators and natural gas, then you have the uh, you could have a preferred choice here. So you could create kind of a hybrid relationship where, for example, you have a co-fire plant and it's producing uh, and it could produce. Uh, Gas, coal gasification and that gasification could power a fuel cell uh, so that's one path um, you could have the solid oxidizing fuel cell where you're passing natural gas in to the fuel cell and you're producing electricity um, and you could have just burning natural gas to produce electricity in a decentralized means so some um, hotels have used uh, fuel cells to power their facility. One, one exciting one is that uh, Cummings Power Generator is that they're, they're a very efficient uh, power generation. You don't have the loss over the line and the power loss over the line and you don't have the cost to uh, be on the grid. And so you could use a home-powered microgenerator that's running off natural gas to produce, let's say, 20 kilowatts. And that's enough power to, to run your home and your appliances. And so on demand, you, you the machine could or, uh, detect uh, load. You could have uh, uh, lithium batteries for storage uh, for immediate demand. And so the power generator could fill the batteries as needed and, or it could just run direct on demand so uh, it could be running all the time and producing a certain amount of uh, kilowatts and then that could be fed back onto the grid. So very, uh, very useful and beneficial technology. But uh, the reason why fuel cells have not been used in the past is because they've been cost prohibitive. Uh, but the but the new uh, um, storage mechanisms are very exciting. So one, one storage mechanism I can see for uh, vehicles for storage of power instead of batteries is uh, supercapacitors. And um, the use of graphene uh, to store a current. So a supercapacitor has, uh, it has two, two surfaces. And so you charge one surface, and then uh, and then when you want to release it, uh, it connects, and then it moves the charge from one surface to the other surface, and you have discharge. the The great thing about a supercapacitor is the charge recharge cycle uh, can go on almost indefinitely, forever. And uh, 
And so it's a great technology. The cost is not prohibitive because you're using graphene and there's more companies that now are producing graphene. So economy scales now exist. And, uh, and it could be, should be the uh, replacement for uh, the, the battery. It can recharge at extreme uh, fast speeds, like 200 milliseconds. So it has a very fast recharge capability. And uh, so you put those uh, supercapacitors in the car. For, there was a company I was looking at a long time ago called Zebra. And uh, I had thought that uh, Zebra was gonna make a move to use supercapacitors and then to reduce the cost of its battery, you know, having replace out the battery and reduce the cost of the vehicle, but it didn't do that. And so just because I guess you're at a, an innovative technology does not mean that your goal is efficiency. And uh, not to say that the, there may have been reasons why they chose not to use a supercapacitor and at the time, and maybe it wasn't part of their strategy, maybe it wasn't uh, cost, pro, it was cost prohibitive at the time. But, uh, so if you have the supercapacitor um, that could replace the battery, then you have a lower, and you could lower the cost, and then you have uh, either hydrogen storage system on the car and a fuel cell stack. Uh, then you have less, uh, less cost and higher efficiency and so the fuel cell car should run for a long long period of time um, with periodic maintenance now the other thing is how to reduce the fuel cell stack and uh, using nanomaterials and different uh, catalysts um, for the exchange proton memory exchange or proton electron exchange uh, they've been able to reduce down the cost so the stack cost has come down significantly uh, when I was first studying fuel cells uh, reading about them the fuel cells were they, they cost like a, a, a million dollars but now they're they're around I believe around three hundred three thousand dollars or so the some prices that I saw and there were some companies that were wanting to mass produce the fuel cell stack and provide those parts to uh, auto builders so once the fuel cell market uh, begins to emerge uh, you'll see a rapid adoption towards it because uh, the range for semis is very large um, Toyota did a YouTube where they demonstrated uh, the speed of acceleration capability of a Toyota Semi. It could pull 80,000 pounds, uh, accelerated twice as fast as a, as a diesel-powered Semi. It, had a, uh, it could recharge to, uh, batteries from uh, regenerative brakes. And so it's uh, acceleration. I think it uh, had, uh, you know, it has instantaneous torque. So the pull power is really good. Uh, it's like a, a diesel powered um, train. You know, you're, it has incredible pull power. And uh, the motors are, are powerful, <coughs> uh, capable of, of carrying the load for long distances. And it's zero emission. So that it's it's really exciting technology uh, really proud that uh, Toyota uh, 
has taken the lead to uh, introduce this technology and that the, they're thinking about trying to uh, capture some of the semi-market. And uh, you also have uh, truck builders like Nikola that uh, have a hybrid, which is a combination of lithium battery and a fuel cell stack. And uh, they, their range, I believe, was a thousand miles. So, uh, you know, that's uh, less time to have to stop and refill, uh, more time on the road, uh, decreases the cost to transport. And uh, if you can reduce the cost of building the semi through using uh, existing technology and, and uh, <coughs> uh, assembly processes, then the semi, instead of costing uh, several million dollars, might only cost 200000 So there's going to be some price point that is going to be acceptable for the fuel cell semi and uh, right now Nicola knows that it's uh, expensive so it, will, it has a lease program and, uh, and so they, they lease out the vehicle and but the cost savings uh, due to the hydrogen and its long range will uh, make it cost effective and so they're excited about that product. We should see by 2026 that uh, the emergence of, of that technology uh, being on, adopted. And so what does that mean for fuel cell trends? Well, I think what that means uh, is that right now fuel cells are about a close to a $1 billion mark. I, I saw $600 million, but I kind of doubt that number. And I think it's probably pushing up higher towards uh, $1 billion if you count all the fuel cell vehicles that are currently on the road. And um, but as soon as the semi-market and then the large truck market uh, starts to adopt fuel cells due to the economy, uh, economic factors, then you could see a trend, a rapid acceleration trend where uh, there will be large orders for replacement of uh, whole fleets with from diesel-powered transportation to fuel cell transportation and that's going to be and you see large companies like Hyundai who's got a uh, electric uh, fuel cell hybrid type semi uh, you see Nikola with its fuel cell hybrid and then Toyota if it ever decides to move into that large industrial uh, semi production lines you can see Toyota producing those semis I don't really see Tesla with its electric batteries becoming a huge uh, market. They're expensive and the vehicles are look really great, but uh, uh, it'll be a question again of, of uh, if you can get into that $200,000 range for that semi or the operation cost is comparable or less. Um, it's so it could then turn into like some sort of weird tax uh, incentive to to use uh, the electric vehicle and uh, reduce down your taxes. Uh, that might be one way that it goes. Another way it might occur, uh, I'm thinking more likely is 
that uh, the operation cost for running the fuel cell semi would be, let's say, 80% less expensive. Um, so if you take the 80% less expensive plus the tax incentives plus uh, uh, the minus the, the cost of the lease and you break even, then maybe you say that you're carbon friendly uh, responsible you know, or something like that. But uh, it seems like all the high tech uh, is really pushing towards reducing the carbon footprint, more efficient chips, uh, moving more of the computing to the edge, even though that's not really uh, the main source of their income. I think the main source of income for a lot of the high tech is cloud. I know I've read uh, some of the companies that were a little more late to the cloud and uh, and realizing that that was a strategic mistake now are trying to uh, retool and, and move their services to the cloud and so there's this big push towards cloud adoption I think the cloud technology is uh, moving Microsoft up into number one spot for business it's, uh, it seems to be really strong in the cloud technologies with Azure and uh, it integrates well with a large number of its tool sets and development tools. Uh, you have Amazon in the Silicon Valley, and, uh, and it also integrates well with the Microsoft products. And then you have Google. And uh, so those would be the three large cloud providers in my mind. And uh, they are always uh, strong technologies to, to watch and, and invest in. Uh, in many aspects uh, invest your time invest your money um, but they they seem to be on a pattern of, of continual growth okay so what I've shared with you today is that I think that the fuel cell um, answers the question about decentralized power I think decentralized power is the trend for the future we also have uh, carbon footprint reduction and uh, that will become more pressure politically and possibly economically. So green, uh, green pressure will continue to put uh, a desire for alternatives to hydrocarbon fuels. But you look at gasoline and gasoline definitely will be around till 2050. I don't think that there'll be one technology that can completely disrupt um, uh, gas and diesel, oil, oil-based fuels um, for the next uh, 30 years. But you will see more efficient approaches uh, emerge. We see more electric vehicles. You know, China will see more electric vehicles. And uh, But I, I still think that China uh, will with the large populations will migrate towards fuel cell and it has for a long time. So you see uh, uh, Daimler, Daimler Chrysler had fuel cells uh, vehicles with ranges of 240 miles, um, high acceleration like an electric vehicle, um, combined a high, uh, hybrid combination of fuel cell with uh, lithium battery. 
Um, Honda had fuel cell FCX. Toyota has its fuel cell Mariah and uh, Mariah E and Wish Meets Future. And Ford had fuel cell and their Veloz's fuel cell supercar can go over 200 miles an hour and it's a fuel cell. So fuel cells uh, vehicles, if you raced them against an electric vehicle, they would win. They're just better. They're, they, they have a better power output uh, mechanism and they have larger range so you, you can take the race across America and the fuel cell car would win. Um, uh, it would be interesting if you if you did that. You take, let's say you take the Tesla power-driven uh, semi, and then you pull the eighty thousand pound uh, load up over mountains and down through valleys, through hot and cold uh, areas, different times of year. Fuel cell will operate uh, better. You can operate fuel cell under cold temperatures. You can operate fuel cell under high temperatures. Um, it doesn't have any moving parts, and um, so it's it's just a, a great technology. Um, and then the other thing about the fuel cell, instead of using lithium batteries, you could use supercapacitors, and that's kind of the exciting thing. Uh, there's uh, companies like EE Store that uh, are building supercapacitors and doing it for a long time, and. Then, I, last thing I talked about is the hydrogen refueling stations, the method in which they would do it. Now, you have a number of companies that uh, are setting up and, and uh, building hydrogen refueling stations. There's uh, 60 or so hydrogen refueling stations in California. Uh, there was uh, Hydrogenics built uh, a, put a number of, uh, they, they have combined electric, or excuse me, fuel cell cars, and they built a couple of uh, hydrogen refilling stations in Connecticut to prove out proof of model, and uh, <coughs> they're very successful. And that should uh, then expand out nationally. So um, when you look at the, the amount of money that companies have been spending on fuel cells, a lot of, every automobile company has had some form of fuel cell prototype. And they've thought about it and then the question is is who will be first to market and well Toyota's first to market with it my my opinion uh, you could say maybe Honda was first with its introduction to the lease product uh, the FCX uh, vehicle but Hyder, but Toyota was the first to sell a fuel cell car and uh, then you have Mercedes with fuel cell vehicles uh, in Europe. And so um, they, the key will be um, with the adoption is that it has to be the large companies that already have the infrastructure built uh, that will introduce the vehicles so they can get the economy to scale uh, up and reduce the price down. So I, I, my bet is that it'll be the larger companies that uh, will introduce the fuel cell vehicle to the masses and also sponsor, help sponsor uh, the building of the hydrogen refueling stations. Um, because like you look at, for example, you look at the cost that Tesla has to build 
its plants. It's, it, it's borrowing billions of dollars each year. Uh, it has to invest uh, billions of dollars for operations. So you have high expenditures to build the infrastructure, and then you have high expenditures for the operation of the infrastructure. And then the products are, uh, are very expensive. And they have a, realized that fact that their products are expensive and they are trying to introduce uh, lower cost entry level vehicles uh, or in the, in the 30 to $40,000 range for consumers that can tolerate that, that price range. Uh, but uh, you know, as far as finding a $20,000 Tesla, I don't think you're gonna uh, find an entry level car that's in that range. They're gonna be pushing up into the $30,000 range. Um, and so if Toyota can reduce its costs through mass production and then uh, provide incentives through fuel reduction costs, then uh, it, it will really have the car of the future. And then the next big step will be uh, trucks. And that's one of the, the most protected areas in transportation is trucks because you know, that, that crosses over into recreational, uh, industrial, where you're using the truck for work, to haul loads around, uh, recreational to pull trailers, uh, off-roading, whatever the, the reasons for the usage of the truck. And that market um, is a very profitable market with high margins. And so the truck companies have been really careful to protect that market. Uh, you see Tesla introducing the Cybertruck. Uh, and it can, the nice thing about the Cybertruck is the technology and the, uh, that drives it can have a number of different looks. And so you can have a more conventional look that looks like the F-150 is which the model that they were wanting to compete against uh, for the entry-level truck. And uh, you could see the more, more powerful truck, the Cybertruck with its triple motors capable of pulling much heavier loads um, and longer distance ranges be you know, sold for the 70,000. So there's three different models of trucks. But, uh, you know, if you came out with a, a $40,000 fuel cell truck with, uh, with the triple motors and, uh, you know, with a 500 mile range, then I think that the fuel cell truck will be uh, real preferable. But, they, but then if you, you look at the market today and say, okay, where can I go buy a fuel cell truck? Can I go down to Toyota and buy my fuel cell truck? And the answer is no, it doesn't exist yet. So, uh, but the next six years, we're gonna see some big changes. And I, and I feel like the, the first change will be in the semi. Uh, a lot of people have said in the past that fuel cells would come in the form of, of uh, electronic devices like laptops, and they would have little canisters of hydrogen that would fuel, keep the laptop because it would la uh, running because the fuel cell would last a lot longer than the battery. And then all you would have to do is uh, refill the, the hydrogen tank. Um, when you think about it, it's not, that's a lot of maintenance, manual maintenance to keep your laptop running. And so I don't think that that became popular. But you could, uh, you could have some sort of 
uh, uh, chemical process, possibly electrical chemical process, and uh, slowly release the hydrogen in the laptop, recycle it, and then you produce heat and uh, water. So that's a that's a possibility. Didn't see that happening, but it was a lot of talk was saying that the fuel cell would come that way in small devices. Um, a lot of the fuel cell that I have seen has been in uh, data centers or it's uh, emergency power support, support uninterrupted power uh, source, and it uh, you know they're they they last longer. They they don't have problems with shelf life, and uh, and they can provide uh, power on demand if uh, the power of the data center's external source goes down. Um, and so the, I was kind of surprised when I did see that that, that was a, a niche area. And then you, you see larger scale production where they're using fuel cells to uh, run small hotels, fuel cells to help balance uh, electricity load. So they're, you know, during peak times, one of the problems of uh, the electric market is deregulized, and so the electricity is bought and sold in different areas. Uh, for the fuel sources, natural gas is also being bought and sold, and uh, so uh, supply and demand certainly can cause uh, spikes in the um, uh, amount of, of supply. And so when the supply is short, you need to have a, a source of energy that can come online and, and uh, keep your, your power source or power levels even. And that, that would be uh, one, one initiative is to use fuel cells to do that. And that's, and that's uh, regulated by government, governments, city governments, and, and state governments. I don't know about federal, but uh, those are those are some interesting applications of fuel cells, and then uh, fuel cells for home power generation. Uh, that would be the ultimate uh, to be able to reduce down your electric uh, price cost and uh, be able to, if you had a you know electric car, to recharge the electric car using a uh, natural gas fuel cell stack, and um, and so those are are uh, some possible choices for using fuel cells. And, uh, but it, it, uh, its introduction uh, has to be very convenient. It has to be uh, modular. Uh, you have to have people that can install it uh, and they have to be trained in it. And the, you know, the, the vocational schools are not in that process so then you have the manufacturers will need to uh, combine with the universities to get uh, uh, programs where they can uh, have the, uh, the training on how to install the different uh, pieces of equipment. Um, you could have it in your car. So you could have a fuel cell stack in your car. You could plug it into your house and you could run your house off of your car's fuel cell stack. So uh, it then becomes a power generator. And uh, those are some of the things I think are exciting in the future. When you talk about fuel cells, they have a, 
a lot of application. Um, and so my bet on that is that the fuel cell will become an important technology in the next six years. And it will go from the $600 million um, environment to $42 billion. So you're going to see big changes in uh, energy production.